After lunch, they went to their reptile house. It was cool and dark in here, with lit windows all along the walls. Behind the glass, all sorts of lizards and snakes were crawling and slithering over bits of wood and stone. Dudley quickly found the largest snake in the place. It could have wrapped its body twice around Uncle Vernon's car and crushed it into a dustbin. But at the moment, it didn't look in the mood. In fact, it was fast asleep. Welcome to episode two of Wanderlust. Now, this is a podcast where four tour for muggles Harry Potter tour guides, uh, who sadly at the moment can't actually do the tour in real life, uh, we're staying in and we're going to be taking you on an audio tour instead. So the idea is we're travelling chronologically through the book's locations and with each episode we'll discuss each location in depth. Um, so today... We're going to the zoo. So you should stick around. Uh, So we'll be discussing the filming, the history, and we may even have a special guest later on. Uh, But for now, I'm just going to introduce myself. My name is Alex Scamander, and I'm a Hufflepuff. And I'll be talking about how the zoo is presented in both the book and the movie. Uh, Joining me today are... Hi, I'm Greta Granger, also a Hufflepuff. I've got another Potter or Notter for you this week. Also, an interview with Holly Bessley, who works for Zoological Society of London, who of course hosted the filming for the Harry Potter films at London Zoo. She's going to give us some insider knowledge. Hi, I'm Nicholas Longbottom, a Ravenclaw, and I know many things about snakes. And hello, I'm Will Hagrid, a Gryffindor, the best house, and uh, I shall be talking about the history of zoological gardens and menageries and ting. Lovely stuff. Well, to start off, I mean, let's talk about where the zoo was set and filmed. Uh, As you, Greta, just said, of course, it was filmed at London Zoo. Um, But as we all know, in the books, that is not the case at all. In fact, Hmm. I think it was in the last podcast we mentioned uh, that Harry, before going to King's Cross, had never been to London before. So it actually makes no sense that uh, he would have gone to London Zoo uh, uh, for Dudley's birthday. Uh, In fact, what we do know is that this zoo is supposed to be in Surrey. Um, Now, there's quite a few places where this could be. I've heard people say Marwell Zoo. Uh, I don't. Have you, any of you guys ever been to Marwell Zoo? I don't, no, I've never been. I haven't. No. Well, I've no. looked into it. It's quite a small zoo. Um, and actually, it probably isn't Marwell uh, because partly, well, for one thing, it's in Hampshire, uh, not Surrey. And also, there are no gorillas there. And as we know in the book, uh, Harry does look at some gorillas um, and remarks how one looks like Dudley. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so the only one that really makes sense to me is if she were choosing an actual zoo, is that it would be actually Chessington World of Adventure, uh, which is both in Surrey and has gorillas, uh, and also as a reptile, is the most important part. And um, has rides. And well, <laughs> that's what I was going to say, because, yeah, obviously, for those who don't know Chessington World of Adventure, yeah, there is a theme park there as well. But there are actually quite a few differences between the book and the movie, of course, not just the location. Um, of course, the scene kind of plays out quite differently. Uh, I mean, uh, the fact that Piers Polkis is in the book and, of course, not in the movie, which is understandable. It's a shame. Uh, but since mm. I always sort of imagine Piers Polkis as being, um, you know, the orc in uh, in uh, Two Towers. He goes, yeah. Yeah. Imagined, yeah. Why can't we have some meat? That, exactly, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's how he says his own name, like Piers. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but of course the whole scene, the big scene where, you know, the glass vanishes and the, uh, the snake escapes is hugely different, really, because... 
uh, in the book, it's quite simple because the glass just disappears. You know, uh, the Dursleys are looking quite shocked. Uh, the snake escapes. Um, of course, it speaks, which it doesn't do in the. Um, in yeah, the I've done some research yeah, into yeah. snakes, and they can't actually speak. Well, there you <laughs> go. Oh my That's Not my first that fact attitude. for you today. <laughs> also, uh, it does imply in both versions that the snake can read because it points at the sign, doesn't it? Uh, when he's when he's sort of when Harry's talking to him. Oh yes, it's a very literate snake. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Also, quite impressive. Unless there's a reflection on the other side of the uh, reptile house, like how it knows the signs even there. Mm. Like when would it have seen it? It's an observant snake too. I, yeah. I guess <laughs> better I guess. educated than the rest of us, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just weird that that Harry talks at all to the snake. Surely that's the really weird thing. <laughs> He's that? a very lonely man. <laughs> oh yeah, he is. <laughs> We've all done it. <laughs> Do you, do you think throughout the whole zoo, Harry spoke to every animal and it's only the snake that decides to talk back or react back? I mean, when I come out of quarantine, guys, I'm speaking to every creature I see. Uh, yeah. um, but just going back to the scene itself. So, of course, as I said in the book, it's quite simple what happens. But in the film, um, because it's a film, it's a bit more over the top. And of course, the glass disappears. Dudley falls in because he's an idiot. Um, into the uh, the he's quite lucky really because it's quite a hum- humongous tank really he's quite lucky that it's not smaller. Um, just just gonna say a thing in Duddy's defence. Yeah. Um, from experience, Go it on. is really easy to fall into animal enclosures. Hang on, what would you mean? Right. How many times have you fallen into animal enclosures? Will of all four once. of us, it would be I, you. That fell in. I uh, when I was a child, I did once fall into the stingray tank at uh, the London Aquarium. Um, oh wow! Wow! <laughs> Obviously, falls in. But what's really strange to me is that in the film, is that the the, the glass reappears, almost as if sort of Harry's subconscious has placed it back there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you have that because it's a movie. And also, I must say, at that moment when the glass reappears, uh, Harry Melling and uh, particularly Fiona Shaw, their performance is so hilarious and brilliant. I highly recommend really focus on it next time you watch that scene because uh, particularly Fiona Shaw when she first sees him in the glass. It's brilliant. Um, her jaw almost unhooks. It drops yes. so low. Mm, it's right. incredible. Her, and her shot eyes is, pop. So well played, yeah. But I think it's interesting because, of course, it's understandable why in the movie they would have done that, you know, made it a bit bigger, this whole scene. But it certainly implies to me within the world that there is a real vindictive side to Harry, whether, whether it's subconscious or not, that he's not only removed the glass, but placed it back there using well, magic to trap. He does, he does have a little bit of an evil soul in, in him, doesn't that's he? Some reason. Reason. Yeah. He Maybe is James that's... Potter's son as well. Yeah. yeah. James yeah. Potter, famous scallyway. Famous High school jock of the Harry Potter series. <laughs> yeah. In Harry's defence, he has been brutally bullied by Dudley for many, many decades. All right. Well, Gandhi <laughs> wouldn't have replaced the glass, Nick. <laughs> No, Gandhi but Gandhi wouldn't Potter. have gone to London Zoo in the first... And I'll tell you what else he wouldn't have done. Gandhi wouldn't have fallen in the Stingray tank. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I bet he did. I'm going to look that up. I'm, I'm Googling it Gandhi. now. <laughs> I've been looking at the history of zoos. Zoos are brilliant. Um, uh, zoos began life as royal menageries. I, I guess the ancestor of London Zoo uh, is the Tower of London. Um, there was a, a royal menagerie inside the Tower of London, uh, started probably by King John, and originally, like all the others, it was just a collection of exotic animals, mostly lions. 
They loved lions. So yeah, the zoo was much expanded by King Henry III, um, and by this point it included other animals, including very notably a polar bear, which was given to him by King Hakon of Norway. Um, and they wouldn't feed the polar bear, they'd allow it to fish in the Thames. Um, oh, it, wow. it would be chained oh, wow. to the land, and all the Londoners must have been just terrified by this actual <laughs> monster. And the, the bear can't have had a good time either. That menagerie was closed in... Uh, some point in the 1830s, after a lion bit uh, a soldier, or a sailor was bitten by a monkey, we don't know, but the Duke of Wellington um, <laughs> uh, caused it to be closed, um, at which point the collections were moved over to the newer, more dynamic and cool and exciting Zoological Society of London Zoo. Uh, which had been built in Regent's Park in 1826. For a while, it had been the big rival of the Tower of London Menagerie. Um, and then it won. <laughs> okay. uh, there were also a lot of other contenders. Uh, Victorian London was full of beast shows. Wasn't there a craze of uh, like combining animals as well that was very morally dubious, where they'd try oh. and like create new, weird, hybrid animals by putting them together. Yeah. So certainly dead yeah. ones. Uh, there's the thing called yeah. a, a Fiji mermaid. Hideous yes. thing. It's a fish, the bottom of a fish, stitched to the the top of a monkey. Um, there's yeah, actually think... one in the British Museum as well. Um, yes, I was going to say, me and our producer Steph went to the Harry Potter exhibition when it was the first book's 20th anniversary, and uh, there, it was displayed there. There was, there was one displayed there. Oh, that's uh, awesome. There are mermaids in Harry Potter. Of course there, there are. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm furious that I missed that exhibition. It's one of my great life I know, regrets. It's such a shame. They also had the Ripley Scroll, the actual yes. Ripley Scroll. Yes. The zoo sort of superseded the Royal Menagerie. Originally, the public weren't allowed in until uh, actually after the reptile house was built. Around the middle of the 19th century, London Zoo almost went out of business. Their scientific activities were costing a lot to encourage people to come. They built the Reptile House. The Reptile House, in many ways, saved London Zoo. It was the first reptile house in the world. Oh, it's got a fun history. Snakes were big. Uh, there was a, a very uh, a famous play which ran for years and years and years called The Anaconda. Um, years ago, I actually wanted that movie to... With, uh, Jennifer Lopez in? Is that the <laughs> Later adapted <laughs> into a classic film. Yeah, yeah very much. Um, Good. The, the one that Harry will have gone into, if he did indeed go to London Zoo, uh, rather than Chessington, yeah. was uh, a, a theatrical thing. You'd go through a tunnel to get there. Um, it was dimly lit. It was the first um, exhibition house to use glass properly. Um, mm. Rather sweetly, the, uh, the snakes had blankets um, because the, the zookeepers were uh, afraid that they'd get cold. So yeah, uh, the new one, Harry's one, uh, was uh, much more recent, 1926. Uh, it was co-designed by the curator of reptiles uh, at the zoo, uh, whose name was Joan Beauchamp. Uh, I'm saying that wrong, Proctor. Uh, she was the first female curator of reptiles, uh, and she used to walk around the zoo with her favourite Komodo dragon on a lead, which is fun. Um, oh, is, is there like is, a picture that cool. of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen that. I've seen an image of that, for sure. Oh, she's, she's thoroughly awesome. Um, yeah, that's cool. Well, speaking a little bit, you mentioned reptile houses there, Will. Mm. I feel that this would actually be a really good place to bring in our special guest for this week. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about the actual filming and the events that the zoo has been doing since. 
Well, so now I'm very excited to announce that we are being joined by Holly Bestley. Now, Holly works as an education officer at ZSL. ZSL, of course, stands for Zoological Society of London. They have two zoos. One is in Whitsnade Zoo in Bedfordshire, which I believe is where Holly is based. And another zoo is in Regent's Park in London, where, of course, they filmed the Harry Potter zoo scene. So hopefully Holly will be able to give us a little bit of an insight into this. She's also a self-confessed fellow fantasy geek and an animal lover. So an absolute ideal person to talk to on this topic. So hi, Holly. Thank you so much for joining us, especially in this no crazy time with this crazy virus. Time. Yeah, no, it's lovely to be here. Thank you very much. Oh, no problem. I couldn't believe it. I actually read that this is the first time the zoo has closed since the Second World War. Yes, and they and they only closed then for a matter of days and then were asked by the government to reopen um, in order to kind of help raise the public spirits. Um, so, you know, it, it is quite a dramatic time for us at the moment to have both of our zoos shut. We're working really hard to make sure we can still kind of get the animals out there. So, of course, you weren't working at the zoo when they were filming Harry Potter because, first of all, different ZSL zoo and obviously it was filmed 20 I, plus years ago. I would have been nine years old, yes. <laughs> But do you do you know of any fans that still turn up to the reptile house at London Zoo, like maybe on June twenty third, like Dudley's birthday <laughs> or anything we like don't, that? I don't know about the specific dates, but we definitely do still get people coming to to visit it on their you know their tick list of of lo- London locations for Harry Potter uh, filming. It's on all the lists, and so we definitely do get people uh, coming in. And we um we did a day um on the twenty year anniversary of was it tw- the twenty year anniversary of um the uh, first book coming out. Um, where we decided to let everybody with a surname Potter into the zoo for free. That is absolutely incredible. Do you have anyone dress up or is that? Is that? <laughs> we don't, no, we don't. The only thing we do have is we do have a sign uh, in the reptile house next to the tank that they claim that the filming happened at. But that's a bit of a, a kind of contentious, not contentious topic, but um, I... When I started working at the zoo uh, about five years ago, I um, went up, you know, I, I was I knew that it had filmed been filmed there and I had since watched the movie. And I remember going into work the next day and thinking, oh, I'm just going to have a look. And I couldn't really uh, work out which angle they'd filmed it from because everything seemed to be a bit backwards based on where the tank that they say in the reptile house is a sign. You walk in a sign's just in front of you and it says, this is the tank. Uh, it's the black mamba tank, tank at the moment. And I, I was sort of looking at the angles on the film and I couldn't, it didn't look like the right tank, basically, but I went all around the reptile house and I couldn't work out which tank it was because um, none of them seemed to fit the bill. And um, a few years later, I was um, escorting some filming that was happening on site at the zoo um, as part of my job. And um, one of the cameramen, I was being very professional with these with these uh, with these people. Um, and one of the cameramen happened to let slip that he'd been here before because he'd been here. Um, oh gosh, however many years ago in two thousand and one, filming the first Harry Potter film, um, and he'd been one of that one of the uh, cameramen on that uh, film shoot. And so I sort of peeled off from the group and said, "Look, I just." Want to ask you if um, you could show me whereabouts which tank you filmed it at because I've been trying to work it out all these years and I couldn't. I managed to do this away from the main group, so I didn't so they didn't realise how unprofessional I was being. <laughs> but, I'm very impressed. Um, <laughs> I uh, I took him. He was like, "Oh yeah, let's go and have a look." It's just around this corner, and so we went round, and he went, "Ah, no, it wasn't that one." Pointing at the one where the sign is, saying that that's where we filmed it, and it's actually the one on the wall opposite where there isn't actually a tank anymore. Because what happened is um, a few years after the filming, if you come into the reptile house at London Zoo, there's it's sort of like a big oval and you're coming in at one of the sort of shorter ends so there's a it goes off round to the right and it goes off round to the left and and they say they claim that the tank that it happened in is just in front of you on the left hand side in the sort of central block actually it was opposite that on the side wall but that all the tanks on that wall 
then subsequently got taken out because that is now our breeding centre for um, critically endangered uh, amphibians. So the mm. tank itself no longer exists. Wow. Wow. It's a good inside scoop to have there. <laughs> I know. I was so pleased when I found it out because it vindicated the fact that I wasn't going crazy and it wasn't the tank. It wasn't the tank they said it was and it's not there anymore. But, um, it, it, you know, the whole, the whole reptile house still does. It's still the same colour. It's still painted in the same way. All the other tanks look like the tank where it was filmed. Um, so it's still a great destination. But yes, I, I was so pleased to have worked you know, it out. <laughs> you know now. Do, do you ever, you ever, I, don't, I mean, I suppose you're not up there too much, but I just wonder if you've ever been in there and you see some kids come in with like a, a picture of the film staring at the <laughs> tank and then staring at the picture like, hang on, there's something not right here. And you're there I, like... Mm. I don't know who's who, who goes there regularly enough to really like think about it and work it all out. It was a small it was a small group of us that are both, you know, zoo nerds and Harry Potter nerds. But, uh, there must yeah. be a Zen diagram where they cross over, where you've got zoo nerds and Harry Potter nerds. Well, exactly. Because, I mean, part of the thing uh, is that obviously the snake itself is CGI in the film, mm. um, but they changed it. They changed the species of snake between the books and the films. So in the books, it's a boa constrictor that, mm. that, uh, that the whole thing happens with. In the films, it's a Burmese python. And th- there's no information anywhere as to why they made that change. I can't myself work out why they made that change because they are both snakes of a similar size they're both constrictors the only thing is uh that that i've i noticed is uh i was doing a fair amount of research for one of our education sessions on snakes recently and i came across the fact that snakes don't have eyelids so uh yeah what? And, what does, and what does the snake do is it slithers out of the tank yeah it winks at him it winks at him yeah physically impossible snakes do not have eyelids jk come <laughs> on do your research exactly and that happens in the book and it happens in the films um and they don't so basically what they have instead is um they don't have movable eyelids they have what we call an eye scale when snakes shed their skin we, we look after um, a fair number of snakes in our education team up at whipsnade and every you know they're about to shed their skin because their eyes go cloudy and that's because that's the first scale that starts to sort of slightly lift off um so that's how you know they're about to shed their whole skin is that the, the eye scale goes cloudy and then it comes off and if you get a good shed it can come off all in one piece oh. and you can see the eye scales as well it's great it's a bit like when they go down into the chamber of secrets and the basilisk has shed that big skin exactly. that's, that's a good shed, shed. <laughs> a gs as you'd sure. like to call it exactly do you have any animals that are actually called after harry potter characters we do yes um, now now <laughs> so it's after whipsnade we have a, uh, a herd of yak <laughs> and all the yak out of harry potter names we've just had a baby yak born last week um, we've got a new baby yak and uh, they haven't got a name yet because it, it takes a little while before they can do a vet check and work out if it's male or female the slightly questionable part is that the main male the dominant male in the group is called voldemort oh, <laughs> and, oh. and the mum is called hermione <laughs> so voldemort and hermione had brand new baby baby yak um we've also got i i got this up just so i could double check who we've got in the group we have also got luna harry and bellatrix Oh, great selection. I, I mean, I can't get Voldemort and Hermione. There is someone somewhere who wrote that fan fiction. Who's there? Definitely. Like, yes! yeah, definitely exists. He's like vindicated. So does anyone call the yak he who shall not be named? Or is that just, is that something? Yes. The, the, yes. The, the press release that went out to the, to the, to the uh, yeah, to, to press was um, the yak who has yet to be named. <laughs> <laughs> incredible so. i was also going to ask you as well the the bit when of course dudley falls into the water do you know if, if that was actually done there that wasn't anything to do with the studio because i imagine reptile enclosures aren't the best place for a stunt scene <laughs> to be done 
Yeah, I they would there wouldn't have been any actual snakes in the enclosure when that happened. I can tell you that for certain. They would have moved them away, and and, and they would have you know when it comes to uh, the welfare of the animals, when it comes to commercial filming, um, they will make sure that you know if there's going to be loud noises, if there's going to be bright lights, if there's going to be you know loads of people around, they'll they'll work out um, what's best for the animals that that are in those enclosures at the time and move them sort of temporarily elsewhere if if necessary. Oh, that's good. It's something you don't really think about. Well, I certainly don't about the, the all the other animals that must be stood around or slithering around watching this. And yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, it would have been a probably quite an exciting and strange day for the uh, the whole crew as well. You know, it's quite a unique place to be filming. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be up there, hasn't it? It's. Um, yeah. I, I would have felt a bit nervous myself if I if I had a camera that I knew I had to focus on and there was a big black mamba sat behind me. I'd be like, <laughs> How secure are these cages? But yeah. <laughs> Holly, just say thank you so much for joining us today. It's been absolutely incredible to hear your insight. And the tank thing has blown my mind a little bit. So (laughs) thank you for putting to rest. It's an exclusive. I've not told anyone else about that. that. That's an inside, yeah, inside (laughs) knowledge. I appreciate that. And for those of you who uh, don't know, Holly shared an incredible story on her Twitter, which was about an owl that was too fat to fly. So if you want to Google that BBC article, I I fully recommend. It's incredible. Um, But yeah, thank you so much, Holly. It's been great to chat to you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so that, that's amazing. She was, that was lovely. <laughs> she was yeah. a delightful a lady. proper fan as well. Yeah. Like her Harry Potter knowledge was, also, yeah. was, it, was as impressive as her it, uh, animal knowledge. It kind of blew me great. a bit what she was saying about the tanks. It just blew me away. Mm, yeah. I love mm. that uh, Voldemort has a flock of evil yaks. <laughs> we call it a flock, a herd, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or a, a yoke. I don't know my collection now too well, a but yoke. maybe, maybe. But that's interesting to know because that's something. As of course, as tour guys, we come across quite a bit, like on actual filming locations, when things are no longer the same for whatever reason, whether it's because the filmmakers changed it or whether it just has changed since then, and it kind of can be quite hard to sell. <laughs> um, so I can see why they were like, "Oh yes, yeah. it's this tank. This one yeah. exists." This well, is you the famously one lie to people, don't you? So um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love lying. Uh, I can't stop it. I can't help myself. Yeah. <laughs> <The Stalics>. uh, <laughs> every episode, I'm going to be <laughs> going to mention that how much I yeah, lie. Okay. But uh, I, I don't lie, by the way, guys. I'm a Hufflepuff. <laughs> you lie. can't lie. Mm. Uh, um, can't. It's physically impossible. But she had some. She had some pretty good facts about snakes. Um, I my research might be less in depth than Will's or indeed Holly's because she knows a lot more. So. Uh, Apologies for anything wrong I'm about to say. Don't apologize, Nick. We're used to it. Snakes are long and thin and rhyme with the word rakes. Um, they come from the crowning group Serpentis. The English word snake comes from Ooh. Old English snaka, or in Sanskrit, of course, is naga, which uh, J.K. Rowling ingeniously uses the etymology of to uh, blend into nagini, which is uh, another uh, intriguing nice. tangent. Uh, the general scientific consensus is that snakes are kind of descended from lizards that got lazy and their legs fell off. Um, <laughs> it's happened to us all. Yeah, I'm simplifying for the audience. Primitive groups among... I didn't realise you're a zoologist as well. Uh, well, I mean, not many do. Why did we have Holly on when you've got all this information? <laughs> Frankly, I was a bit affronted I wasn't interviewed this week <laughs> about snakes. There is the shedding of scales. I thought it was interesting that... Um, that she said that they get a sort of grey, misty look in their eyes when they're about to shed. Could be a glazed and cloudy look of the snake looking into the distance and thinking of of home. Which has led me to this (laughs) segment. Uh, entitled, You're the king of segues. I know. Uh, So she mentioned, of course, that uh, in the books it was a boa constrictor. Uh, He says he wants to return home to Brazil. And he says, Brazil, here I come. Thanks, amigo. And that's the last we sort of hear of the snake. Uh, And I was like, but how would he get to Brazil? 
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the greatest snake, uh, otherwise known as Boa Sea, <laughs> and the most efficient way to get to Brazil. <laughs> Step one, he's got to escape the zoo. Step two, he's got to find a means to get to Brazil. Step one is the simpler step. The reptile house of London Zoo <laughs> is uh, relatively near the entrance. It's between the tiger territory and the outback, where sort of uh, you can see many playful antipodean marsupials kind of friskily <laughs> gamboling. Uh, so Boasi uh, would do best heading straight for the exit located immediately to the right of the entrance. He's probably about, about a two to three minute window of panic before park guards capture him. So he's got to move fast. Uh, his main objective at this stage, of course, is to get to an airport. There are two options. There is London Gatwick or there is Heathrow that offer reasonably affordable flights to Brazil. Uh, of the two, Heathrow is easier to get to. Yeah, it'd be an uh, idiot to try and get a Gatwick. I know. I did I plot both routes and I was like, he's got a nightmare on his hands if he's going to try and get the tube to Gatwick. So he's going to head directly to Regent's Park Station and then hop on the Bakerloo line south, because there's usually a bit of standing room, to Piccadilly Circus, jump on the Piccadilly line all the way to Heathrow Terminals 1, 2 and 3. Uh, this takes him approximately two hours. Plus, he needs to leave three hours at airport to be three hours early. Because, uh, you know, <laughs> you never know. This is a thing only it. you do, Nick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just think it's important to be thorough when you're escaping to Brazil. And as I've said many times, punctuality is key. But, um, but surely a snake being at an airport for three hours will only increase his chances of capture. Not will. He's got to be there on time. <laughs> as, long, as long as he wears a, a trench coat and glasses uh, and, and a, a hat, hat, he'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, no one suspects a thing, right? Well, By this stage, he'll have shed his skin and, you know, he'll have acquired a new uh, outfit. So I've allowed half an hour for that. So all in all, he's got five and a half hours he's got to allow. Um, if he's made it this far, then he's now got several options of flight. Um, so the zoo trip in the books takes place, well, it's, it's shortly before Harry's birthday, isn't it? So that would place it it's, sort of... Yeah, Dudley's birthday, so that's yeah. June. It is, yeah, it's for Dudley's birthday. Right, so it's peak time. So travelling economy, <laughs> he will need £301 to get to Brazil. He's got a book well ahead. Um, but he's a pretty conscientious snake, so he's going to travel green. Uh, so he's going to get uh, the green um, flight to offset his carbon emissions, and that's going to cost him £509. It takes 18 hours and 55 minutes, avoiding Samuel L. Jackson. There are two layovers. <laughs> There's Paris and then Sao Paulo La He gets a few meals on that flight. Uh, he's got snacks on the first plane, meal on the second, and then a light meal on the third. He will reach the rear... Do they offer dead mice on flights? Or live rabbits. <laughs> or live rabbits. Or live rabbits. I mean, I didn't look into that, but... I mean, at the end of the day, it's plain food, so... <laughs> so he's going to reach Rio de Janeiro... But it's not over yet, because Rio de Janeiro, of course, is many, many miles from the Amazon jungle. Um, I did Google directions from Rio de Janeiro to jungle. Doesn't give anything. So I've had to work this out the hard way. It's quite hard to reach. Uh, in fact, the distance he has to cover to the rainforest is 2,840 kilometres crossing the Rio and Amazon River. He's probably thinking about now uh, that it would have been easier to get a plane to Manaus, which is far nearer, <laughs> but which I didn't find until later. <laughs> I'm really rooting for Boa C around about now because he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. come a long way. He's now got a slither, <laughs> a painstaking 10,000... No, oh, God. 11335 miles of road. <laughs> it's not a pin code. No. 
So his best bet would be to hitch some rides, which is hard, he's got no <laughs> thumbs, uh, which we learned earlier, before finally plunging into the verdant and tropical depths of his homeland, weary, depleted, almost broken by exertion, and crawling, but at long, long last, home. All thanks to Harry Potter. That was awesome. Uh, Quite yeah, a journey. Amazing. It was like yeah. the film Papillon. I mean, I, I can't believe J.K. Rowling stayed with Harry after that moment yeah. and didn't follow the snake, because that's the truth. That's the real story. <laughs> I said uh, so. I mean, it's, who cares about Hogwarts? <laughs> Do the outro, Will. <laughs> what's, what's, what's next? Let's, uh, uh, oh, well, actually, it's, it's me. So, because oh, uh, uh, so, what's great about this scene is that, obviously, within this first book, it comes across as just quite a, you know, just a silly little scene where it's sort of demonstrating sort of how unusual Harry is. But it's quite an important bit of foreshadowing that becomes significant in just the next book with the fact that Harry is speaking Parseltongue. And also, as I said earlier, it's looking he was talking to a snake because if he was talking to like an iguana, <laughs> he wouldn't have had the same success. Yeah, because that would be weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, but nothing would have come of it, is my point. Mm. Like, the uh. iguana would not have reacted to Harry. The creature in the chamber is an iguana. Why didn't I think of it before? <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of the uh, popular rock and indie band, The Parcel Mouths? No. I have not. No. They are a kind of, yeah, indie rock band, and they're responsible for such smash hits as What Kind of Name is Hermione? Uh, Black Family <laughs> Anthem. Rude. Freaking Ask Me to the Yule Ball. Let's Get Hagrid Fired. <laughs> and my personal favourite, Kicking House Elves. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> oh, wonderful. I look them up. They're quite entertaining. We should interview them. Yeah. yeah. And we that should. Was, yeah. yeah, sounds quite fair. Um, Anyway, sorry, Alex, cool. you were saying. Well, no, no. Well, that's about it, really. But there is another potential bit of foreshadowing, which I think Greta's going to talk about. Oh, is this Nagini? Well, you talk oh, about well, 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 I <laughs> yes, will. Yes, it is. It is the Nagini well, bit. I will, no, I yes. will you Greta. <laughs> <laughs> Just listeners, he does this joke every single time. <laughs> They'll be used to it. Just be aware that you're going to hear that again. <laughs> well, so yeah, so I've incorporated this into my um, my round of Potter or Otter this week. So this this has a special subtitle. It's called Nagi or not Nagi Me. <laughs> that is the question. <laughs> what place is that from? I know. Well, well, Nick, you tell us. What, it's what from, is that from? It's from Hamlet. Uh, listeners, Ooh. you'll be interested to know I played uh, Hamlet twice. Uh, to mixed critical acclaim, and uh, <laughs> it's not—it's not a great title, but I mean, there's not really a lot that rhymes with Nagini, so it's kind of the best I could do with short notice. But what the theme of this is? There's there's a popular fan theory turned myth that, and this used to be mentioned on my tours quite a lot. It's divided nerds on the internet, hmm. and there's even supposed to be a quote where J.K. Rowling says she found it funny that nobody realised this, and so the myth is. Was the snake that Harry freed from the zoo actually Nagini? And a lot of people say, well, it's before Voldemort has officially returned. So some people are like, why wouldn't Nagini be chilling in a zoo? Why not? And how as good as this theory is, though, it can be disproven quite easily. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> as much as I want to keep this alive. But um, some people have pointed out that, first of all, the Brazilian boa constrictor in the zoo is not venomous, which, of course, Nagini is because she bites Arthur Weasley in the fifth book. Their genders are possibly <laughs> different. So Nagini is female. Um, and in the first book, JK calls the boa constrictor. She does call it it. So we don't technically know that it's a male. But she does say that it speaks to Harry in a, quote, low hissing voice. 
So mm. could be a female with a really seductive low voice or could be a male. Mm. And so you, we don't we don't know. It could be the same gender. But no. Mogomet have also pointed out that actually the sizes are a little bit different in book one. I think the boa constrictor can wrap around Uncle Vernon's car a couple of times, whereas in book four, yes. it's like 12 feet long. And also, I think you mentioned this earlier, Alex, apparently it says in the chapter that the snake was actually bred in captivity. Yeah. Which, yes. of course, we know, if, for any Fantastic Beast fans out there, that Nagini has a whole life before she is with Voldemort. Mm. So it's yeah. looking a little bit unlikely. And if that wasn't enough, then apparently J.K. Rowling actually herself came on Twitter and said, <laughs> no, it's not Nagini. <laughs> that really is this. the nail in the coffin of that argument, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that is it. But, so, yeah. yeah. So I think this is a pretty easy verdict, whether it's a Potter or not this yeah. week. Do we still get to play? Because yeah. I've even... got a strong feeling uh, on this one that I might, I might win <laughs> go, this go one. Go for it, Nick. You, throw, you go with that instinct. Right, it's my, it's my this, turn first. This, I, this, I think it's a notter. Well, is this how, like, last week you thought that the dog that Harry sees wasn't actually serious when it definitely was supposed to be serious? Oh, yeah, Harry Potter and just the random dog. <laughs> Look, she hasn't gone on Twitter to, to say that that was wrong, has she? And no, she's... but Sirius <laughs> says it later in the book that he saw him there. That's not what we're discussing, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Clearly, as you can tell, I haven't gotten over it since last yeah. week. Yeah, for, for those of you who are joining us just for this episode for your first one, um, there is a previous episode where Nick has a mad yeah. theory about a dog. <laughs> and now let's hear Nick's new mad theory. Go on, Nick. No, I don't. Uh, my, my theory is that it's not Nagini, <laughs> which is not really... <laughs> oh, right. Oh, it's okay. not really a theory. It's just... <laughs> Okay. It's just it's, cold it's like, fact. It's like just, flat earthers. Just do agree. It's, it's like no, all evidence is against you here. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, yeah, if she is uh, Nagini, then Harry could have saved himself a lot of trouble by not releasing <laughs> Nagini. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's yeah. A, I think what some people point out. But like, the whole franchise could just be over in the second chapter. Yeah. Be like, and then he didn't free Nagini, and that was it. Although I love the idea that Voldemort, yeah. if, with all his infinite power, would get to London Zoo and be like, damn it! There's no glass here! <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a young boy in this tank? Yeah. How did my pet get in here? God, peace of my soul will always be on display for small, stupid school children. <laughs> and also, when Harry sees Nagini for the first time, which I think is Goblet of Fire in, in the graveyard, yeah. um, there should have been a dramatic scene of like, I freed you. What yeah. the hell? You, like, why are you betraying you me like it, this, bro? Uh, we were we were mates. We were amigos, uh, and now you're siding with the enemy. Yeah, uh, that could have been a nice little thing. She misses explore, so suddenly... many points in these books I know. To, to fully explore the characters. With you know, we should have wrote. Uh, we should have written. Harry <laughs> we should have wrote Harry Potter. We should have wrote Harry Potter. We should have wrote Harry Potter. <laughs> it could also be the fun spectacle right, of Voldemort right. speaking uh, Portuguese. Well, thanks for listening this week, uh, listeners. We hope you enjoyed your trip to the zoo. Obviously, thanks especially to Holly Bessley, who is the uh, learning officer at ZSL Whipsnade, for taking the time to chat to us. That was an amazing interview. And well done to you, Greta, for the interview, because I thought it was brilliant. Thank you. And of course, to Tina Campanelli at ZSL for helping to arrange the interview. That was great. So, of course, if you enjoyed following Harry's journey with us, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. And of course, you've got your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Instagrams. We're tour for muggles on all of them. So, yeah, don't forget to follow us and like on those and next week Wanderlust takes us into uncharted waters as in we're, we're taking a small boat to an island so see you next time listeners and mischief 
managed. Goodbye. That was lovely. <laughs> oh, everyone else is gonna say goodbye. I left there. your goodbye at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was like you were startled by someone else in the room. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>